it's amazing how many rabbits are here. I think, you know, that's why Lyle told me he has a lot of beagles, right? Go rabbit hunting. Good eating, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was shocked. I, you know, right now we're up at uh, Birch Bay Village, and and uh, not all the way. We got one foot leaving one house, and we're got another foot in another. So, uh, yeah, but I was shocked when I was going into the village, our this gated community, and there's a coyote with a with a rabbit in his mouth. And uh, I'm like, how did you get inside this gated community? He must have followed the beach. But, <laughs> so, but it's amazing how many rabbits are still here. And it, probably that's why we have so many coyotes here in this area as well. There's a lot of meat. Um, you know, as we go to our text this morning in Ephesians 4, you know, that whole idea of rabbits, every time I laugh, every time I see that, uh, TV commercial about the the Energizer Bunny. I mean, that thing has been going for years. But you know what's so amazing about it is it's it's not about all you remember is the stupid bunny, don't you? Right. But it's not about the bunny. It's about the battery, right? Uh, uh, the sad thing is, is those batteries always die. But for some reason, that bunny, as long as the you know that we have that commercial, that bunny is never dying. That's just because it hasn't met the beagle in a hunter yet. So, But uh, a power source is pretty important, isn't it? You know, we have, we have oil, we have coal, we have uh, gas. We have all sorts of different power sources to keep things running. They're pretty important. And that's the, the idea about the fruit behind a, a, a gospel-centered life is, is that we're trying to show you that living with the gospel daily actually produces the fruit that we want, that we desire. And it's also the same fruit that the world desires, and they're desperately trying to find a power source that'll power it. But it's always dying. They don't have the Energizer Bunny, that commercial that lasts for forever. Right, But we do, and it's called the gospel. The gospel lasts forever, and it produces qualities in our life that last forever. And, so, and that's what we want to look at today, is that the gospel-centered life produces community. Community. Real community. Now, what's funny is part of community is unity. Did you notice that? The last part of community is what? Unity. If you don't have unity, you don't have community. Community uh, is one of the blessings and the fruit of the gospel. And I, I don't know if you notice this, but unity is not uniformity. That's why the world is struggling. They have what, they don't understand what real peace is or what real unity. Unity is not uniformity. Unity comes from within and is a spiritual grace. It's a grace. Unity is something that we don't deserve. Have you ever thought about that? We all want unity. The world wants unity. The world wants peace. But it's the one thing that they've never seemed to have. Because it's a grace, it's a spiritual grace. While uniformity is the result of the pressure from without. 
You see, everybody is trying to focus on pressuring you from without, trying to focus on the pressure, trying to conform you into this image when the reality is it's a grace that's given from within, and that's the gospel. The gospel. We see this unity like a sweet aroma that penetrates the early church. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 4. If you realize Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is all about this great blessing that we have that's in Christ. I don't know about you, but you should go through in chapter 1 of Ephesians, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and underline every time it says in Christ. It makes a point. Everything is in Christ. It's about Christ. It's in Christ, through Christ, for Christ. It's all about Christ. There's something there. And then he starts with the practicality. When we are in Christ, when we have the gospel, it produces something in us. And that is unity. It's what forms our community. You see... Otherwise, guess what we would be? We'd be just like a YMCA or a community center. And what's amazing is that's what a lot of people want churches to be, is just another YMCA or community center. How does it benefit me? But that's not what God created us for or through. And so as we go to this, I want you to listen to the gospel as it grows our unity and our community in this text. So let's pray and ask God to teach us about our unity in our community. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be blessed from reading your word and that we'd be excited for what you are trying to do and that we would realize what we have because of the gospel, the unity that we can have, what the gospel produces for this community and this body of believers. Pray that you would help us to see and understand and to rejoice together and to be excited about your gospel. Lord, help remove the distractions and help speak clearly your word this morning, I pray. Help this, this crazy preacher to proclaim your message and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, listen to verses one through 16. And look at what we see here. It says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. That's interesting. Paul calls himself a prisoner. I don't know about you, but we don't regularly call ourselves prisoners, do we? That's something interesting to note there. He says, I a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy walk in a manner worthy of the gospel or worthy in the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Walking worthy of the calling, our calling in Christ, the gospel. It's going to produce something that's different, isn't it? Remember we talked about that last week, that there's two different sides of the coin. Our life before Christ and our life with Christ. It produces a different kind of fruit. Look at verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, running to maintain the unity, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope 
that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. One. Isn't that amazing? One God, one Father, one, one hope. Isn't that less stressful? We don't, have to have, we don't have to go looking and searching for many hope. All we need is that one hope in which we've been called through Christ when we receive the good news that He died for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose again, and He conquered death, and He's at the right hand throne of God. And he did that for us. That's our calling. He's called us to receive that gift. We have to respond He says, verse 7, But grace was given, that which we didn't deserve was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, that does what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. So he proclaimed the gospel even in hell. He proclaims the resurrection even to those that were in the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascends far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and the shepherds, that's me, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I hope that just awes you to be able to, that he's going to grow us, that he's going to mature us to the manhood, to the measure of the stature of Christ. That's an amazing statement. To think about who Christ is and that he's trying to conform us into that stature. You know, what? that's like, you know, when John Wayne walked into the room, he commanded a presence, didn't he? He wasn't like this, oh, poor as me. He came in and was like, hey there. You know, he was an, his voice or James Earl Jones, that booming voice. He had an amazing stature, but that doesn't compare to Christ. You think about the stature of, of God. And he wants to build us into that unity. That is an amazing statement. So that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head unto Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, that is each part of the body, is working properly, making the body grow so that it is building itself up in love. Building itself up in love. Unity is not uniformity. It's being conformed into the image of Christ. We see this kind of unity. It is amazing. It is powerful. There is nothing that can stop God's church, His body, when we have this unity of faith in the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
when we have the gospel. There's, there's four things that I want us to look at, four biblical keys uh, to church unity that we see in, this, in what we just read. And that is church unity is central, the central is, it should be the, is central to the message of the gospel. Church unity is the central message of the gospel. The gospel is what gives us unity. It is not our liking each other. Marriage is not about liking each other. Marriage is about a commitment to God. God didn't put two people that liked each other together. We think, the world thinks that's what it is. Oh, I'm falling in love with this person, but then after about four or five years, they realize there's a lot of things they don't like about that person. My, my mother and my father-in-law made sure to tell me that. They did this when we, we, got, when we were, got engaged. They, they, took, they took us uh, to a restaurant, and I'm... I'm nervous, man. I'm the, the future son-in-law. They gave me permission to marry her, but they said, we got to talk to you, and we're going to take you out to dinner to talk to you. I'm saying, uh-oh, they're going to let me have it. So they take me there, and, and they said, we want to tell you all of your wife's faults, or soon-to-be wife's faults. And I saw, I just, whoa, okay. <laughs> I stood up in my chair, and I was like, okay, I'm going to... I was like, wow, this is not about me. But at the end, they said, this is about you because this is who you're going to choose to marry. And it's not about what you like right now. It's about being committed to her for eternity. And Christ, the gospel, is about God saving us. And it's about our salvation, and that is for eternity. He went away to heaven to prepare a place for you. That's marriage language. He's... The groom who is going away to, to work hard and he's preparing to come back and take those that are in Christ back to be married with him for the rest of eternity. It's not because we are good. Unity has nothing to do with our likes and dislikes and, and what we like and dislike about church. It's about the gospel. One of the great accomplishments of Christ's work is that he has broken down the dividing walls of hostility that exist. I mean, look across the page at Ephesians 3, 6. This is this great mystery. It says in Ephesians 3, 6, it says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. you got to understand, the Gentiles and Jews, there was the Jews, God's chosen people, and then the rest of everybody on earth were Gentiles. There was an extreme dislike. There was extreme hostility between God's people and the world. Does that sound familiar? There is, and it's getting worse today. And I'm saying, bring it on. Because it's just all about Christ. It's about separating those who really love Christ and those who are pretending. Christ, the, this is an amazing thing. Do you understand what God put together? No one in eternity could ever have done that. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel the church unity 
It is the essential message of the gospel. If we are not focusing on the gospel, guess what there won't be? There won't be any unity. There will be a lot of things. There will be a lot of people doing stuff. But there will be no unity. The church, the second thing is church unity showcases the wisdom of God. And if you turn over to 1 Corinthians, I mean, it's never more plainly described than in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. We can go through this whole thing, but we see that the gospel destroys the wisdom of the world. The church unity showcases the wisdom of God. It shows that God can put a bunch of unruly, unfit sheep who like to hurt each other together and love each other. And the world was going, wow, that is weird. I can't believe those people actually like each other. Well, maybe they don't really like each other, but they love each other. How do they stand each other? I can't stand them. How do they do it? It showcases the gospel. And that's in Ephesians 4. It's this great mystery revealed that even the angels, Lord, how in the world are you going to put all these people together and make them worthy enough to live in heaven for eternity? The angels were wondering how, and our world is wondering how we can even have peace. When we focus on the gospel, it showcases the wisdom of God. What no one could do. That's why it's amazing when we do marriage. What you know, let no man separate what God has put together, right? God's wisdom is amazing. What God can do through the gospel. You guys, we I am we've been talking about the gospel so much because we severely underestimate the power of the gospel. The church isn't a collection of people who merely tolerate one another for long enough to sing and, and to read a few verses and to go home. That's not what the gospel is. The church is a gathering of people who demonstrate a unity so powerful that it can only have come to pass by the hand of our amazing God. The third thing that we see is that cultivating unity is our responsibility as church members. If you are coming together as this body of Christ, it is our responsibility to maintain unity. Do you understand that? I mean, did you see verse 3? Eager to maintain eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know what that word eager means? I don't know about you. Uh, when my kids see, uh, I don't remember how you pronounce, is it Edeline? Edeline? When my little kids see that, you know what? They're eager. Ice cream! Every time we go by it now, I mean, we've gone a few times, so every time we go by it, they're eager to go there. Every time, every time we go by Costco, they don't say Costco, they say pizza. It's the pizza place. 
Every time they see Costco, they scream pizza. And I shared that before. But they're eager. It's with great eagerness and expectation. That's what this word means. It it's means literally to make every effort. It's, it's a sense, the original word in the Greek was a sense of haste or urgency or even a great sense of crisis. We see that there's this great crisis and we need to do everything we can to maintain unity. You know what the great crisis is? Is that the, the devil, the roaring lion, is seeking every one of you to devour and to turn against one another. There, there's a reason why there are problems and struggles in churches. It's because Satan wants it that way so we don't look at the gospel and are empowered to go out and make other disciples. He wants us to be focused on each other. But cultivating the unity through the gospel is our responsibility. We're supposed to be eager to run into the fray and say, I'm going to do everything I can to maintain unity. The idea here is that unity is not an option. Unity is not an option. It is the entire church that has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Do you realize He gave you the Holy Spirit to help you to maintain the unity? Isn't that great? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be given a job and then not be able to have the strength to do it. It's like yesterday when we moved the piano. It was crazy how that went. I mean, I was amazed. The eagerness, that was the perfect example of what God is telling us in verse 3 and verses 11 through 14. There were guys that were running around, and guys that had long arms were reaching around another guy to support a guy because he was stumbling. We almost dropped a washer on poor Ben up there. I'm glad we didn't because he's running the sound this morning. <laughs> but we like ran around and grabbed support. We were eager not to crush each other. But the only reason the piano made it through the house, well, in one piece without destroying the walls, was because there were people eagerly running around looking how to support one another. There were a lot of people that had opinions on how to do it. And there were a lot of people that say, well, that probably would have been easier if we had a dolly, but we didn't have a dolly. But the thing was, is it worked, and it was successful, because people didn't stop and say, well, I think I have a better idea, and just let go. It worked because they were eager to support one another. And it created unity, which created power, which allowed us to actually accomplish something, and then we all... I got bruises from that piano. <laughs> but we, we all went and just like, oh, no more, please. But that's the idea of this eagerness. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For everyone who does not love his brother, whom he w- has seen, by the way, that, who he has seen, that, that's describing all of you are my brothers this morning. My brothers in Christ, because I've seen you this morning. Anybody you've seen, you have seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The bottom line is that we need to realize that focusing on my individual life as a Christian is fundamentally wrong. 
It's about supporting the community that God created. It's being a support. We cannot focus on individuality. We have to support and look how to support one another. That's where Philippians 2 comes in. It's not, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 10 is not about who's right or wrong. It's about how to get past all the rights and wrongs. And that is by looking out for the interest of others. And man, I'm glad that these young men that helped me yesterday did that because otherwise there is no way that piano would ever made it into the house. No unsaved people will ever come to our church if we're not going to be unified and look out for one another, support one another. And let the gospel drive us. Fourth thing is, is church unity produces great, great fellowship. If you look at verses 15 and 16 in Ephesians, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are, are to grow up in every way into him who is at head, Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. We are equipped with every ligament, joint. I know some of us realize that our joints, our knees, our hips, they're pretty important. You know, I didn't realize how important they were until after all those football and sports injuries. Now I'm realizing later on in my 40s that that wasn't such a good idea back in my teen years (laughs) playing all those sports. Guys, he has equipped us with every ability to hold everything together. He's describing fellowship. Look at the end. It says, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That in love is the gospel. True fellowship means putting the gospel first as the controlling motivation in our life. Here's the thing is this, the idea of fellowship, by the way, is not just go hang out and have some ice cream or coffee. For me, I like hanging out and having coffee. That's, that's a good form of fellowship. I love that. I, it's, some of you are catching on. I got a few phone calls this, this week and said, hey, can we meet? We can go have coffee. And I think you're catching on that I like the coffee part. <laughs> but the idea of fellowship here is, is it's this highest exp- expression of personal relationship. Fellowship is partnership. When we all are working together, partnering, that's what that word means. When each part is working properly, when we are knit together, we are a well-oiled machine, fellowshipping and partaking, we're all in this together. It's not about leaders, elders, pastors. It's about all of us using our gifts together through the gospel to produce this community of believers. It's joint participation. The reason that a lot of churches aren't unified is because we aren't partnering together. There's a lot of I and not a lot of team. God created us to support to help one another. And this is the benefit. Assurance of salvation. There's those verses under there. And, but we have great assur- assurance. When we build through the gospel, we 
build unity together, when we focus on the gospel and God grows our community, we are also encouraged like no other. The other benefit is, is that there's solid biblical foundation. Do you realize unity will help in your understanding of Scripture? The more that you focus on others, the more you're better suited for the Holy Spirit to help you understand Scripture. Unity helps build understanding. I takes away from that. Desires take away from that. The gospel builds that. By the way, unity is the greatest source. It will hands down build up the church through evangelism greater than any program known to man. You could be the the greatest marketer in the world, but unity, hands down, will create more evangelism opportunities than anything else. Guys, that's why the gospel is so important. I want to show you this. The idea that we shared this on Wednesday night, but the idea is, is that we have to have an inward movement of our heart. We have to be powered by the gospel. It's not the bunny that has power. It's the battery, right, that has power. Some of us are like that Energizer bunny going, because we've taken the battery out. Like, I can't do it. I can't share the gospel. I can't like anybody in church. I don't like it. And we complain and we grumble. And that's because the inward movement in our heart, it has nothing to do with the gospel. That Jesus died for us. Because the inward movement in our heart will always produce the outward movement. If the inward movement of our heart is only about us, it's only going to produce things about us. But if the inward movement of our heart is about the gospel, it's going to create some amazing things. As we are focused on God's grace, his gift of salvation, we start seeing our sin. And we're like, whoa, that's ugly. Well, let's get rid of it. So we get rid of it by repenting and exercising our faith and our trust in Christ. That's what happens when we focus on the gospel. Sin no longer controls us. and no longer, We don't have to hide. We just need to give it to the Lord and we need to repent. And when we do, we experience joy. We have great joy. You say, we need to have more joy in church. Well, we need to start, stop hiding and running away from sin and just deal with it and be like, it's okay, we just got to deal with it. And we got to just present it to the Lord. And then he will release the joy. But then we move through God's grace, and if we're motivated by that inward heart, guess what we see? We stop seeing ourselves because we've been so enthralled and excited about what God has done in our life, we see opportunities to love others. Wow, God has so loved me, I can't help but love other people. And so we see opportunities. I've heard so many people like, oh, pastor, I'm just so tired of serving. I just, the opportunities just aren't there anymore. I'm like, wait a minute. There's a never-ending, I look outside, there's a never-ending supply of opportunities to, 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 to love and to minister, not just inside the building, but outside the building. And as we see this, guess what? We die to ourselves. we stop focusing on ourselves. And we step out in faith. That's what in Philippians 2, and I think it's verse 9 or 10, it says, don't complain and grumble. 
If you're driven by the gospel, you shouldn't be complaining and grumbling. We're not going to focus on ourselves. We won't even care until the next day, like yesterday. A lot of guys, they were like, oh, it's okay. We're going to work hard. And they were excited to help me And as we moved into our new home. And, but today, I mean, we're sore. <laughs> a lot of times, right, And uh, Miguel, he knows I'll be preaching, and I'm excited, and, and I'm all excited to share God's word and what he's been teaching me all week, and then I'll go home and I'll crash. But when we're, when we're serving one another and the gospel's driving us, we don't think about what it's doing to us. We don't think about ourselves. And guess what? We start rejoicing when we see things changing. You know what that rejoicing leads us back to? It leads us back to God's grace. So the guys on Wednesday night, they got this. They got this last night. But if you start here at the gospel and God's grace, do you see what symbol that makes? Does anybody see that? What symbol is that? Infinity. Do you know that God created us to, be a, to have joy all the time? But do you know that this... This factory of joy and serving and love, guess what is the power source? You take the gospel out of anything you are doing and it, you, lose, you lose all traction. They, folks, uh, I just want to read this and then we're done. I, I can, I mean, there's so much. I have so much more I could keep... <laughs> I could keep going. But Revelations chapter 1. Remember Ephesians 4 was written to the church of Ephesus? I don't know about you, but I feel sorry for the church of Ephesus. It's the most picked on church in the New Testament. God, God is always talking to us about Ephesians. But Ephesus is mentioned in, in Revelations chapter 2. And he's talking to the, 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 the attitude and the mentality of churches. But He's talking about a physical church that once existed, and, and, but we, this same mentality can affect us today. In Revelations 2, he says, in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write this, The word of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patience, endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who have called themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. He says, look, you've done great work. Look, you've, you've identified false teachers. You've done all of this well. I know the work. It's great. I know, in verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the name's sake for Christ, and you have not grown weary but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's so easy to be caught up in the works. To caught up in works of doing good things that we forget our first love. And that is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. And as a church, one of the things is, is the gospel breeds unity and the reason we don't see it often is because we forget our first love. We forget who we've loved. 
And I trust that you would see that, that the Jews, when they were looking for the rabbi in Christ, they had forgotten who he really, they didn't know who he was. They just wanted the miracles and the signs. They just wanted stuff. Don't forget the one who died for you. May it empower and, and may you eagerly seek to be unified together, to shore up one another, to support one another, to build up one another, to encourage one another. As it says in Hebrews 10, 24, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And as you see the day approaching, even the more as we see things getting bad, look how we might, you know, that's a great lettuce passage. Let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. Let us love one another with the love in which God has loved you. Don't forget that love in which you've been loved. Because it will change our church. It will change me. It'll change you. It'll change us. It'll change this community of Ferndale that's not unified. Only the gospel can do that.